Welcome to Simply Brilliant. I am Dr. Shavella Wilson, the hostess. And tonight, I have exceptional men here with me to discuss aspects of toxic masculinity. So here's a disclaimer. Uh, this show and this topic are meant for information only. This is by no means a platform to bash or emasculate men. Um, so let's get started. But first, I want to make sure the gentleman feels safe. Do you feel safe, gentlemen? I think so. Uh, is there feel safe? I hope so. When somebody asks that question, I get worried. Don't get worried. Don't get worried. This is a safe space. This is just us talking. We're going to have a good conversation, right? Right. Okay. Man, hey, I'm, 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 man, I might have to unfollow uh, Dr. Wilson on Twitter. Like, let Wait a minute, I thought we was people for a minute. We are people. We are we good people, okay? So I wanted to um, let the audience know that I felt like it was important to have this conversation um, with men, okay? So um, I want you all to be as honest as you can be, and I want you all to be thoughtful and, um, you know, share as much as you can. So we're going to jump right in with the first question. And when I ask you the first question, you can give... Um, your own introduction, okay? So the first question is, what is masculinity? Or how do you define masculinity? Mm. Mm. <laughs> we, Doc uh, Simmons, don't hesitate, go ahead and take that first, Doc. Stall me out there. So uh um, y'all doctors, y'all can do this. Come on. So uh good evening to everybody. I'm so excited to join our sister. Uh, Dr. Wilson, uh, for this uh, conversation. Um, I was just mentioning that um, uh, I, I enjoy what she posts on Twitter and uh, just the vibe that she brings to the spot. Uh, so want to name that. Robert Simmons, uh, one third of the uh, Three Times Dope podcast crew, uh, coming in hot. Um, and I'm just excited to be here um and uh join uh this amazing uh conversation for me i'll i'll start with like a, a historical context and that um i had never thought about masculinity in its like totality um until i was a dad mm -hmm. um and you know i had read books my mother was an amazing uh, sister that went to Spelman, grew up reading Bell Hooks. So I was aware of it. I'd read about it. <laughs> so I should say I'd never considered, like, how is it animated, right? Considered it in theory because of uh, books that my mother had given me. Um, and so for me, um, I think masculinity is about um, how we show up and uh, treat people. Um, but I also think that um, growing up, I had a different view of masculinity because of my neighborhood. You know, like I viewed this idea of masculinity as something that is about the loudness of your music um, and your prowess in sports. And I think 
from the, when I think about masculinity and its attachment to sports, that's probably what fueled me to uh, play football in high school, play for my first two years of college before I got hurt because I just thought it was the manly thing to do. And I'll admit it impacted um, early on. My, my son will be 10 in January. It impacted my how I worked with him because I'm like, bro, like you getting into basketball and football and like that's what you want to do. But in, But I've learned that like for him, he's interested in coding and he wants to become a a STEM teacher or an engineer, like that's what he's interested in. And he's interested in music. He's not really interested in, in uh, sports. So I had to take a step back and think about how I was defining masculinity, even as a, as a father. Okay. Thank you. Next. Yep. Uh, William Hayes. I am a principal in Camden, New Jersey. Uh, prior to that, I was a principal in Cleveland, Ohio, been in education, uh, for about 11 plus years now. Uh, one third of the Three Times Dope podcast along with the other two gentlemen here. And I think I just have a really kind of short version of what I think masculinity. I think it's an outward expression of what we ascribe to be a man, right? And so that comes with various uh, definitions depending upon the culture, depending on your upbringing, depending on where you live in this country or in the world. And so for kind of the, the base level commitment to a singular definition, I will say it is just the outward expression of what it means to be a man. Okay. You, sir. And since you joined us a little late, if you could please give us an introduction and then define um, masculinity as you see it. We can't hear you, my love. It's just low, Parker. You're coming through, but it's low. Okay. All right. I'm going to try to, uh, I'm gonna try to fix that. But um, uh, Rob Parker. Uh, we still can't hear you, uh, <laughs> Reverend. Is he a Reverend? Y'all just messing up this lady's show, just coming here. Tech <laughs> in. My debut. you going to come late and your stuff don't work. <laughs> Toxic masculinity. Walking up in here. <laughs> Male privilege. I show up when I want to show up. Right. My stuff ain't working. <laughs> ain't even thank the host for her patience. At all. Right. He just all in the camera it's like this. How about that? Does that sound better? Does that oh, sound better? Yeah, there it is. Yes. Thank you, right. Parker. Just, Go ahead. Just give the brother a little patience. I appreciate it. Um but yes, uh, one third of uh, three times dope. I'm an assistant principal uh, of a school in Philadelphia, uh, Pennsylvania. Um, I guess my definition is very similar to Will's in the sense of uh, how I define masculinity would be just the um, that expression of how we define what it is to be a man. And I know that masculinity is kind of this social construct um, and it looks different in different parts of the world. But yeah, like that sense of strength, um, you know, being a provider, uh, those are the things that I think about when I, I think about masculinity, but defining uh, that outward expression of what it means to be a man. I think when I start to name things, we can begin to open up the door um, to go into different places. But yeah, I just, when I think of masculinity, I think of manhood, like what it means to be a man and I think people will have 
different definitions of that, but uh, that is how I would define masculinity. Okay, good. Thank you. Um, so you all have heard of toxic masculinity, right? Um, and there, in my research and preparation for the show, I was looking for a real definition, and there isn't one. There is just a description, and I'm going to share the description with you. Um, so toxic masculinity, according to academicians, um, is used to loosely tie together interrelated beliefs and behaviors associated with masculinity that are harmful to women, men, children, and society at broad. These behaviors include, but are not limited to, hyper-competitiveness, hmm. <laughs> selfishness, <laughs> in the sense of the idea that the man is the and the autocrat of the family, glorification of violence, chauvinistic, sexist, entitled to sex or attention from women, um, and the over-infancy of women. So they make women... Um, these objects that can't do anything without them. So do you all agree or disagree with the description of this term? Hmm. So I would say for the most part, I agree with the description as it relates to the, the negative stereotypes associated with masculinity. I think I would complicate it a little more by discussing the restrictions we placed on the expression that men are able to show. And mm -hmm. so anytime we are limiting um, what a young boy is able to demonstrate by way of his feelings or what he's allowed to be interested in or what he's allowed to do um, or how he's allowed to show love. I think that is a a um, demonstration of toxic masculinity in a way that isn't necessarily causing harm to an outward uh, individual, but causing harm to self, right? And so the restrictions we place on young men in many cases can have that negative impact that we speak about in the definition that you talked about uh, of toxic masculinity. Okay. Anybody else? No, I think that I, I think that hits on it. Um, you know, I, I had a definition as well, and and as you were reading that, I was going through um, that definition, and basically everything that that I had in the definition was, you know, you, you touched on um, as well. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I would agree um, with that, and I think that. Um, you know, uh, I think the key, at least from where I'm at now, is really how it impacts your relationships with other people, right? As I enter, you know, this year, I turned 46 and I think about how has it impacted my relationships with my boys or how has it impacted my relationship with um, my partner? How has it impacted my relationships with other Black men that I interact with, um, both positively and negatively? And how am I reinforcing things that I'm still unlearning um, when I have to raise, you know, in particular, my soon-to-be 10-year-old in January? You know, um, but I also think that <laughs> the difficult piece is that um, with it, um, I, I think that there's not always a space for black men in particular to have conversations with each other about our emotions, um, or even just toxic masculinity in general, or how do you call it out? 
when you see it, how do you name it, right? Okay, and I so think, that was right. my next question. So I have a question for you. Oh, okay. Why, why isn't there a space for Black men to talk about toxic masculinity or when they're with their friends, why, why aren't you all calling it out? So I had this conversation with somebody and they were like, um, you know, we need to hold men accountable and tell men to stop raping women. And men always say, I don't know any rapists. And I'm thinking you do, but because they don't talk about their rapey behavior patterns, you don't know, right? So mm -hmm. my question is, if you all are friends and you all trust each other, then why can't you have these conversations about how you're feeling and how you are perceiving their behavior to be negative or toxic? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, I want to uh, go back to one of the things that I always uh, lift up is the relationship with my mother who my mother and my grandmother raised me because my father was incarcerated my entire life. And one of the things that my mother always gave me was bell hooks. Um, and for a long time, <coughs> I didn't know that that um, uh, bell hooks, um, like I thought it was a mistake that she didn't capitalize the first letter of her name. And I'm like, oh, this must be a typo. My mother explained to me about it, but I want to quote from her 2004 book, uh, The Will to Change, Men, Masculinity and Love. And I just wanted to pull it up um, as I was looking at ironically notes from a class that I teach on intersectionality. And one of the things we talk about is toxic masculinity in this uh, doctoral level course at American University. And so the quote is to create loving men, we must love males. Loving maleness is different from praising and rewarding males for living up to sexist defined notions of male identity. Caring about men because of what they do for us is not the same as loving males simply for being. When we love males, we extend our love whether males are performing or not. Performance is different from simply being, right? And I think it's this idea of naming the performative nature of toxic masculinity when you see it. And oftentimes, <coughs> I think you have to go through this awakening to realize when it's actually happening because again, owning my own journey growing up in Detroit in a neighborhood that I grew up in, even though I had this strong mother at home and my grandmother, you know, I still had a foot in the school and I still had a foot in the street, you know what I mean? Which was my mother's eternal struggle to keep me, you know, out of the streets and in school and go, going to class. Um, and I think you learn these types of behaviors. The question is for me, I, I have a small group of friends mm -hmm. who can talk about toxic masculinity, but the motivation isn't necessary, or motiv original motivation wasn't healing ourselves. Uh -huh. My original motivation was being a good father for my kids because I, I didn't have a good father. He hurt people um, in his life, which is why he was incarcerated, right? And so I think for me, um, that's part of the challenge is like, who, who do you trust to have this conversation so that the conversation isn't also toxic and you're, you know, perpetuating this, oh man, you weak, you know, why are you crying? Because your son, you know, is into whatever, you know, my son's greatest joy was a cooking class one summer when he went to Detroit with my mother and I was in tears. Cause I was like, man, that's just love. Like, I'm just excited for him. And I literally had to stop talking to somebody that I've known most of my life because they were like, 
man, he gonna be soft. Why you got him in some cooking class? And I was like, <laughs> hold up, dog. Like, one, you coming for my seed. Two, like, wait a minute. But I also realized my response, which was this hyper-masculine back up off of me, dog, is, is a form of toxic masculinity as opposed to saying, well, why you say that, bro? Because again, in order for toxic masculinity and patriarchy to change, black men, at least when it comes to black male toxic masculinity, um, black men have to step in um, as interrupters and be co-conspirators. Like we have to move beyond allyship and think about our interactions and our pushback against especially cisgendered heterosexual males. Right, like that's the other key um, to this uh, dynamic. So I'll stop there. Okay. I would, can I just add? So I would say there's one is so complex, right? I think it's easy to talk about uh, toxic masculinity in like the most extreme traditional ways. Right? Can a be can a boy be tough? Uh, are boys not crying? Are you uh, do you have a high status that you are? Um, all the things that come with that stereotypical piece, but we miss the fact that toxic masculinity is held up by a patriarchal system, right? Exactly. And so it's not necessarily uh, so overt. There are just many ways in which uh, toxic masculinity and even its negativity can be stereotypically advantageous in this country, right? We ascribe certain power and status dynamics to those who exhibit qualities of toxic masculinity, right? So as a ninth grader going into high school, there was a certain social clout that you got to playing football versus being in the band, right? And that patriarchal <clears throat> system, the negative stereotypes of masculinity perpetuate that. And that's not um, indicative of the, the, the rapey culture we talk about, right? Where men feel like they have um, power over women and have a right and access to women, right? And so it becomes very difficult to call out because the levels are so covert uh, and the microaggressions are so prevalent, right? And so we can very much say a man should not disrespect a woman overtly and say, yo, you are, you know, whatever. I don't know the nature of the show, if we can curse on the show or not. You can, you grown. Right, when a man who called, we, I don't know people in my circle who will outright call your bitch come here, right? You just don't say those things. But you do know a man in your circle who's grabbed a woman by her wrist when she's walking by like, hey, let me talk to you, right? And so that in and of itself is an assertion into her space, is a suggestion that I have a right to touch you, to grab you, um, and that is supported. And so I think in order for us to like resolve this or to rectify this, we must acknowledge that it is in the fabric of who we are, right? When we think about, um, oftentimes when I talk about racism in American culture, I point out a quote that I saw, I think it was on a meme, racism isn't the shark, it's the water, right? And so toxic mm. masculinity in the same way, it's not the shark, it's the water. It's how we bring up boys as both men and women. When you look at a young boy and you say, oh, he's gonna be a heartbreaker right? He's, he's going to get all the girls. We perpetuate that even in trying to give compliments or trying to be positive uh, about how we lift up certain negative stereotypes or certain restrictive stereotypes of what it means to be a man. So I think um, part of that is how we sexualize our children. So I think we sexualize in the Black community. I think we sexualize our children very early. Uh, we look at their bodies and we're like, oh, she's going to have a big butt or look at those big legs. No, and that's going to be attractive to men. And then the adults begin to have a conversation um, about certain things that can happen. Like, oh, you better be careful or you better get your shotgun. Um, but they don't always take the time to explain 
what can happen and then how to protect yourself. And then like, I have a son and I call him the boy. And that's all people know is that he's a boy. Um, and I'm raising him by myself. So I sit back and think about what type of man am I raising, right? Am I raising the guy who's going to be um, rapey or am I raising the guy that's a gentleman through and through? And is that weak? Because he's also um, a nerd, right? Like he wants to be an engineer, but he also plays football, but he can also sing. So there are a lot of different things. And I thought that as a parent, it was my, uh, I, I had to, exposed him to a lot of different things so he knew what he wanted to do right um and i had to talk to him about manhood and what mm. it is and from a woman that's very different what it is for you all right for me it might be something totally different and how he shows up but when another man is looking at him they might perceive him as soft although because he's huge i doubt they'll say anything um but because these are covert um, activities and gestures, when they show up in places like the workplace or at church or at the family reunion, how are we handling these things? Because what I found, and I'm churchy, um, is that the church is where this play this is really perpetuated. Um, I've all like my place. My friends pick on me all the time because like if if I go to the gas station, I'm gonna get a date. Okay. Um, and the dudes at the gas station are always nice, like at the beginning. But when I'm like, no, I don't want your phone number. All of a sudden I become all kinds of bitches and hoes and you ugly anyway. So why wasn't I ugly at the beginning of the conversation? Right. So why did you even talk to me if I was all of those things? So when we see this, how are we correcting that behavior or do we correct that behavior? Yeah, Reverend I think when we see it, when we, when we see it. <laughs> well, I, I don't know what you was referencing church church people at, at hollering at you know trying to talk to her at the gas station. It, it's like it, we were going somewhere yeah, with that. But one thing, and then it was another thing. So we yeah, want to talk about the church. So we allow men in the church to date and date and date and date, but we don't allow women in the church to date and date and date. And then we allow men in the pulpit more readily than we allow women in the pulpit or even in leadership, right? And then hey, this is where we there's off, a certain- <laughs> This talking right here. Right? <laughs> Y'all don't go to church. <laughs> we go to church, but we ain't reverend, so we gonna let him address church culture. You know, um, and then there are all these, um, and I come from the old church, so I don't have my ears pierced. Um, I couldn't wear pants, but men were wearing pants. Uh, there are certain things that women couldn't do. Like all we could do was teach Sunday school, but we couldn't preach a lesson. We could be missionaries, but we couldn't be pastors. And now the tide is slowly changing, but people still kind of push back on women in leadership in the church. So is that toxic masculinity or is Jesus going to get me for this? <laughs> I think that, yes, that, Dr. That, Wilson. Let's go. Think, uh, Let's go. Coming in. Um, yeah, no, you're coming in hot. I think one of my experiences, I'm I'm not, I don't come from the tradition traditional quote unquote like black church background. You know, mm -hmm. I, I don't come from that. So some of the things that you're speaking to, I don't ascribe to. And when I when I when I when I read scripture, 
um, you know, I can go back and forth with people theologically and, and, and where it talks about referencing women who were leaders, right? We, we, we look at Acts and Priscilla and Aquila, this, this, this husband and wife team, they were both being utilized um, by God to have a great impact on people, right? You, you see it. And he says that he poured out his spirit on, on all men, you know, I mean, on all flesh. So we can go back and forth on that. I just know as my experience, that's not something that I've seen. I've seen women preaching a pulpit. I've seen women teaching a pulpit. I'm not a person who will be a, a, against these things. I didn't grow up, you know, my, my children, um, I have four beautiful children. I, I don't tell my daughters, you got to wear a, church, a dress to church. You know, like what I'm wearing right now is what I wear to church. I don't, I don't wear a shirt and tie into church. So I think a lot of those things are um, come into play from just the systems that, that were created, even in this country, um, that found its way into the future, into religion. Uh, we talk about Christianity here in America and the way that it plays itself out. Um, and the, the European perspective and influence on those things. And I think that found its way within to our church. I mean, if you even think about the black experience, women were, you know, had power and authority. When we go back to Africa, Yes. Um, and prior to our experience here in America, women had positions of authority and places in uh, and positions of authority within tribes and in, the, in these places and spaces. So when you speak to that, I think that is something that deals with um, the impact of, of um, slavery, the impact of uh, seeing the, the European influence on the black community. And those things just found its way through the church. But I'm in agreement with you within all of those things. I don't think anybody should be, men should be running around as if you're a pastor and you're a teacher. I, the, the Bible I read talk speaks against fornication. Like, I don't, I'm, I'm not about that, uh, that life, right? You're well, up we here talking about fornication. We trying to keep the people. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> we ain't you talking about fornication. Listen, I'll back up some, but I feel like that standard should be held for men and women. You know, I don't, I don't come from that, uh, that experience. That's not my experience within the, the faith. I'm not that person that's traditional. So a lot of the things you're saying, uh, Dr. Wilson, I, I agree with, right. Mm -hmm. So, um, I'm in line with, with all of that. But I do want to come back to the fact of the brother speaking to you at the gas station mm. and then you, you turning that brother down and like, what do we do? And I think growing up, that was big for me. I think for me, it was because I grew up um, in a, a single parent household. Um, my father was murdered when I was younger and I was raised by my mother and she had a lot of girlfriends and I would always be, you know, paying attention to their conversations and hearing their conversations. And one of the things I hated as a kid is like my mom walking down the street and men hollering at my mom, like, mm, you look good. Or, you know, somebody on a, a, if it's a trash truck and we walking and a man looking at my mom behind, like as a kid, I would walk behind my mom. So men wouldn't say things to my mother. So when mm -hmm. I became my teenage years, I saw my friends get declined, you know, in Philly, uh, a popular street is the street and it's called South street. We would always mm -hmm. go down there. And that's where you go to, to kind of talk to females and guys would do that thing of grabbing women's arms, um, saying something and then when a girl turn them down, they'd be like, man, you ugly anyway. Right. And then I would step up in those moments because I, I always felt like I had a mother I had, I'm the oldest of, of, of sisters. So I'm like, I don't want no dude disrespecting my sister. Like if that was my sister, I would crack you upside your head right now. So I would hold people 
accountable and say things, I think you have to be comfortable of going against the grain. I was always that dude like, yo, why are you disrespecting her, man? Just because she don't want to talk to you. Move on to the next one, bro. I do think we do need to have those conversations. I do. I do. I've seen other brothers tense up in that moment and not say something and not co-sign with me. And they just be standing there looking at me and this gentleman as we're going back and forth. But I think it just it requires courage of people to be able to break that culture. But for me, it was my lived experience of being a young boy and seeing these things happening towards my mother and then thinking, man, I don't like that and wanting to change that dynamic as I got uh, as I got older. Okay, Sharif is in the comments talking about people used to grab his arms and wrists, but uh, somebody responded and said those were the fast girls. Okay, so we just gonna let Sharif be Sharif tonight. Amen. He he's trying to creep up in. He trolling your show. He is trolling. I got you, Sharif. Sunday nine o'clock. Um, <laughs> do you all have anything to add to that? Yeah, I would add, I, so I said earlier, I think so much of like how we define masculinity is rooted in the culture that we belong to. So I think to bring up kind of masculinity and how it shows itself in the church and how it's valued in the church is an interesting space. But you can also think like regionally, right? So I grew up in the South um, and there is a certain level of masculinity that is valued and honored, right? So I was always a big black young boy growing up, right? And so if I wasn't committed to doing outdoor chores or I didn't play football or I wasn't necessarily aggressive, you were deemed soft. And that was perpetuated by both men, women, black and white, right? And so I think there's an analysis of the culture, right? Where you are, who you are, your identity in the scope, in the context of those that are around you that matters. I think the other thing is we have to acknowledge that um, this push out of toxic masculinity or diversifying and complicating the idea of what it means to be a man is not popular, right? And so if you are raising a child who expresses masculinity different than the traditional norm and what is acceptable, you must also educate that, the, that child that the world is not gonna respond mm -hmm. in the way that I'm giving that, right? right. And so what that looks like and what, what it means is your child is growing up in a world in which they're going to have to pick and choose their battles, right? And they're going to have to be so sure of themselves that when they face the negativity for what they express, they can still feel good about themselves. So there's a certain level of like, both men and women raising sons in this society to push back against toxic masculinity, but you need to prepare them to be like warriors in that fight. Um, about even me growing up, like I didn't get to, to Parker's point. Parker engages that because I know the Reverend don't mind fighting, right? If, if it gets there, if I, if I, if I approach you. He's gonna lay hands in a different way. I will, I will. Like this is this is a story people don't like to talk about. We're supposed to just push back. Yeah, it's easy for me to push back on people I know. Uh, but I've also curated a circle of friends that I don't think would kind of perpetuate that. But when the stranger on the street, who's also my black brother, is disrespectful, how do I push back? And what line am I willing to cross to, to kind of assert the point, right? right? And so I think it's important to acknowledge how deep-seated it is, how cultural it is, and the, the pushback that's going to be necessary um, and what's your line? Like, what are you willing to fight for? And mm -hmm. what are you willing to like say, you know what, you got that and move on. So I want to where do you think this started? Like, where did all of this begin? Because I, I'll tell you what I believe later, but I want to hear, we don't, where did toxic come from in this masculinity talk? Like, is this something that 
white women created? Is this something that was really real? Um, is it something that is just for men? What is the origin? Is, are we toxic because like my son doesn't have a father in the home and now he's going to be toxic? Are, are we toxic because somebody's back in jail or prison? What, where does this toxic behavior come from? That's a good question. Um, and I think that for me, um, I would say the, the, the first time I saw, as I think back, just growing up in Detroit, of, of seeing toxic masculinity in action was uh, in three ways. Um, one, in sports, right? And growing up in that culture, um, playing in the police athletic league. Two, in the barbershop in Detroit, right? Like I can vividly remember <coughs> comments from brothers, barbers, people getting a cut when a mother would walk in similar to what uh, Rev, Rev, Rev was talking about in terms of, you know, mothers walking down the street or bringing their sons in for haircuts, right? Like I can vividly see it. The third place is on the block and growing up in the neighborhood that I grew up in with how brothers talk to women, right? But the catch is that I also remember that the worst thing you could say in my neighborhood was talk about somebody mama. Cause then, then all hell gonna break loose. Then we about to fight. And so at the time I didn't connect the dots until I was much older. Um, and what I realized is that there should have been some cognitive dissonance at that moment for me in my teenage years, right? But I also think that for me, <clears throat> I was just deeply involved in, in uh, sports, you know, and just trying not to get in trouble on the block and things like that. I, I just think that it took me until I was older to really process it. So for me, that's where it came from in my own experience uh, was, was there. Like, I, I think that that's where I first saw it as I look back on uh, my own um, development um, as a young person. Okay, anyone else? Yeah, I think um, I think it comes from, uh, you know, historically, I think about it historically, we're saying toxic masculinity. I'm looking at a definition, even what you talked about is more of a narrow and repressive description of manhood. Right, so it's narrowing down these descriptions or these repressive descriptions of what manhood is. When you think about that. I think historically that has come from uh, the things that we are learning, like the things that we are taught. Like when you when you go to school and we read stories, um, if you're when they talk about manhood or masculinity and what a man is, you have to look at the examples that they're providing. Right, who are we being taught about that is masculine or being a man? Right, like. You know, when you look at history, right, the things that you go to school and they teach you Roman history and they teach you Greek history, they teach you about these these men who are strong, who are courageous. Um, in stories or writings, um, men who had women fawning over them, right? These, these descriptions of what 
minutes, like narrowing the focus to me is where it, it kind of started. And it, and it just, it, it would spiral from there. Like I think about the images and media. Like I grew up as a kid, one of my favorite characters was He-Man, right? <laughs> man, that, that pronoun, He-Man. Who, who was He-Man? This powerful man who had all these muscles bulging all over the place, had this pretty blonde hair, right? <laughs> these things here that would connotate of what a man is. I think that's where it comes from. And when we narrow the focus and only focus on these things, and we talk about strength or we talk about um, this hypersexuality piece, right? Um, we, we talk about uh, providing and protecting, like these things are only, providing and protecting can only be found in the man. That, uh, I think that that's where it stems from. When we think about education and teaching um, and um, messages that are perpetuated throughout throughout media. Okay, can somebody go to Sharif's house and take his computer, please? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, she had muscles too, bro. She did. A, a little bit, a little bit. It wasn't like he made though. <laughs> Sharif is trolling. Uh, do you have anything to add, sir? Yeah, I would just add. So the three times don't know, I kind of come from the left and like a little controversy. I think the toxic masculinity starts at home, right? I think mm -hmm. that it starts with however we um, ascribe value to the young man in front of us. And so where he lives and who he lives with defines masculinity for him and judges him according to whatever that definition is. I think that's the first place. And I think the second place is in the community that he lives in, right? And so do we affirm the characteristics that he shows? Um, do we push back? Do we um, minimize or devalue this individual for how he expresses masculinity, right? And so if we don't take care of those first two things, then we have a fundamental issue with trying to have a larger discussion about toxic masculinity. Right. I think the other piece is around culture, right? And so we can talk about, um, again, all of the overt negativity associated with what it means to be a man. But we also see that pendulum swing and how it's affirmed in different places. I think about for a young boy growing up in just in general, and this is going, I'm going to be off the cuff and this is going to sound wrong. No, it's not. Go ahead. I didn't get any attention. I didn't become popular until I got a good job after college, right? And so there's a certain man that gets that is popular in high school, right? There's a certain man that gets all the girls and everybody wants him, he plays sports. Um, he can be disrespectful, not necessarily the most intellectual, not on the, you don't get props for being on honor roll. You don't get props for playing an instrument. And so we affirm this like stereotypical man. And then we circle back and now we ascribe a new value to what it means to be a man. Do you have a good job? Well, we didn't care if you had good grades, but did you get a good job after that? Can you provide for a family? Um, do you stay with said family? But we didn't care about any of that when we were uh -huh. raising. You have a benefits package. My friends tell me that now women are looking at them and asking about their benefits package. Okay. Um, so what I think happens with this toxic masculinity is I feel like if we were in Africa, I don't want to make it seem like we were just all good and great and everything was wonderful. But I do think there was a system of protection um, and purpose and teaching our boys how to be men. Uh, whatever that looked like, okay? Um, I think once we came to America and were enslaved and we saw how white men behaved, that then became our role for masculinity, um, be it toxic or not. Um, you hit on a point about it starting at home. So next month, we're gonna talk about toxic femininity because I do believe that a lot of this starts at home with the mother, 
um, as she is raising the children. And if she is toxic, then her children will be too. And if she doesn't get it together, um, get help or get over whatever is troubling her, then she's going to create these toxic people to go out in the world and the cycle keeps going. I think um, until or unless we are honest about who we are as women and what we are as women, like our roles for real, then we're going to keep producing little black boys who hate us and who are toxic to all women and all people they encounter. And I won't get any points for saying this, right? But when I started this journey of toxic masculinity, I, I went to it because I wanted to protect men. And I know that sounds odd, but I was in a women's studies course and all they did was bash men. But there was nothing that said that toxic masculinity was real. And I'll never forget, I was um, at homecoming, A&T, at Pride, Jiho. This guy walked up and he said, he, he said, damn, I ain't no was that fat. And I just laughed, right? I was like, going somewhere. And my friend got mad at me, not at him, because she said, you should have told him, you know, leave you alone. That was rude. And I was like, he was just expressing himself the only way he knew how, right? And he's a respected man in the community. So I'm not really getting ready to kick up a whole lot of dust over something he said just to me. But in that moment, I wasn't uncomfortable. She was. So then I thought about if my son did that, would I be okay with it? And I wouldn't. So I hold somebody in the comments was like, you know, single mothers get a bad rap. They say that we are toxic. And I don't think all of us are, but I do think there's enough of us who are toxic and who are unwilling to get the help or to do the inward processing that we need. And that's why we keep having these cycles of boys that become men who are toxic. What do you all think? Dr. Wilson, can I ask you a you question? Can. That's, that's my response is a question. So when you, when you were in the women's studies class, this is interesting, right? Um, <clears throat> how did you respond? Like, because the thing that's really interesting to me is um, part of the root of toxic black masculinity is rooted right. in white supremacy, mm -hmm. right? Um, but I have found it really interesting that when I hear, um, as you described, like just the the significant um, pressure applied in whether it's casual conversation or courses or whatever around toxic masculinity and this like generalization around all black men, right? And like other people have talked about it and written about it. And I'm just interested in your perspective when you hear um, that type of conversation happening where it's this general, I don't wanna use the term bashing because that's overly, uh, that's way too simplistic, but like the narrative is just that all black men are toxic and like, how do you respond to that? So, like, and, and then the last question, this is like therapy mm -hmm. now, 
um, Dr. Wilson. So you can send uh, three times out the bill. Because um, I am a life coach, okay? Correct. So yeah. oh, correct. Right, yeah. I can so coach you right on through it. Like, Come on. This is three times dope, uh, uh, you know, interviewing you too. Like, how would you encourage Black men as a life coach and it's just a sister who cares about this work. How would you encourage Black men to respond when confronted with someone who lays claim to toxic masculinity? Or I, ha I heard someone say to me one time, well, I don't know why this, why we're addicted to hiring um, a clique of charismatic Black men in this organization. Now, keep in mind, this is said in an organization of 190 people, and it ain't but four or five brothers anyway. So, like, how do you respond to that? Um, so, in that class, um, she taught and thought um, all men were toxic. Hmm. Um, and I am of the belief that everybody has a space. So, if three times dope, we're in the barbershop and I come in and you all are having a manly conversation about whatever, have the courtesy to stop talking about it because I walked in. And while I am a visitor in that space, um, respect that. And I'll be courteous enough to drop off my son and leave. So I am not of the belief that we should attack sports or the locker room um, because those are places that men often um, release whatever that looks like. And I shouldn't be a part of that. And I shouldn't govern that. I think, um, so in that class, when she said that, I knew some things already. Like I knew um, that her husband left her for another woman. I knew she was angry. Um, and I knew that she was trying to um, ascend or aspire higher in her church and they wouldn't let her. And she thought all of this was because she was a woman. And in several conversations with her about feminist, feminist um, theory and womanist theory, um, when she would talk about her husband and her marriage, she was like, you know, I'm the one that was in the trenches with him. We got our PhDs together and we wrote together and we did all this stuff together. And one lady in the class asked her, but did you remain feminine, right? Did you keep the space, because he was your coworker and your spouse, did you keep the space of your feminine energy? Like when it was time to cook, because you all had already created these roles, did you cook in love or did you complain, right? And when he had a problem, did you tell him to get over it? Did you coach him and love him through it? And when she couldn't answer those positively, then we understood her anger. Um, and we always push back on the general notion that all men are bad. And the particular notion that black men need to level up or, you know, when we look at PhD programs, there are more women than men. And then, you know, we start talking about these things and we talk about the power dynamics, especially if it's a white school, they're not normally let black men in as they let black women in. Um, and those are things that we know, researchers, right? So we would always, and I would always counter her 
And it, it came back to bite me because she was on my dissertation committee, huh? Okay. All right. Let me go and tell the truth because I got my letters now. And that thing stood up in my proposal defense and tried to shut everything down. And, um, you know, so my dissertation chair had to handle her. And then in my dissertation defense, she did it again. Um, but then I was ready and I had the data and I had everything. So she was just kind of, uh, I don't want to use the word toxic, but in a negative space. Um, and to your second question, um, I, what was it actually? <laughs> Sorry, what, what do you recommend to brothers who are in these conversations and like how, how do, and this is a question for um, my, my colleagues as well, my other colleagues, uh, Parker and Hayes, like what, what is our recommendation or your recommendation or experience with brothers who are fighting toxic masculinity or they acknowledge their growth but then they get pulled into it and you're like, yo, like. So, but I think there, there are limits to everything. So um, I'll never forget this. I was at a game uh, with some of my nieces, and one of my friends who was probably watching the show walked up on us and said, um, she a doctor. And they were like, yeah, we know. And he said, don't let that PhD fool you. She'll still get in that, ass. right? And I feel like that's the same with men. Um, they can show up and be allies and fight toxic masculinity that is covert and overt um, and, and be calm. Because I think we should approach most things with kindness and, and try to understand first. But if somebody going to keep you a gangster, then that's not toxic. That's you protecting yourself. <laughs> Dr. Rob, you were on mute. What you saying? This is a Parker. This is something Hayes would do. <laughs> He always starts and says, well, in the group, I'm usually the one that's all the way to the left. So how, how, how do you, so so your understanding of toxic masculinity is, is dope, right? Like, I appreciate that and things like that. And you mentioned the church, like your kind of critique of the church. How would you critique Black fraternities and their, their role in toxic masculinity? Mute. You on mute, Dr. Wilson. You're not going to do that. You are not, because I know who you're talking about. Are any of y'all in a D9 organization? Yes? No? Mm. Oh, so that's why y'all coming for. Okay, so this is what I say. <laughs> <laughs> Reverend Parker. Now, she went at the Black church. Had her critique. I'm just asking a question. Oh. And then Sharif will say, especially the cues, you're not going to do that Come to on, my man. brothers. You are not going to do that. Come you on, are man. not going to do that to my brothers. Okay? Because, listen, I already got my speech together when my son uh, goes D9. I mean, D1. Okay? I already got my speech together. And we're going to celebrate all of the men who helped me in the process. And most of them wear purple t-shirts. Okay, and I trust them with my life. And every time I get a job, well, I won't say every time, but the majority of my career has been handled by members of Omega Psi Phi or Alpha Phi Alpha. Okay. And in those spaces, I feel safe. 
they have treated me with a level of respect and courtesy. And what I have to tell women is how you show up. Okay. Um, I will say that Omega is associated with hyper-masculinity. But when you get to know the man, the person, you realize they're really about friendship. Right? You, you, you are walking on some... You tiptoeing you on that on, thing, Doctor. Like, when go. it came to talking about the church, there is no tiptoeing. You were doing you on this thing like, let me find my way. Slow. Hey, man, let me go ahead and say, gonna talk. Look, let me go ahead and say, the Lord <laughs> said He is the Alpha and the Omega. You see oh, what I mean? Okay. <laughs> So I find it interesting and I'm gonna leave the whole Greek thing alone because I know y'all sensitive about anybody talking about y'all stuff. So I'm gonna leave it alone. Right. But twice now I've, I've heard you mention as it relates to toxic masculinity, uh, a reference to evaluating the level of toxic masculinity based on the way the woman showed up and that in and of itself uh, upholds systems of toxic masculinity, right? So in the idea that the professor felt like she held her man down, the first question she's asked is, uh, did you maintain your femininity, right? And then the next question in terms of like, how you experience Greeks and at a party are, how did you show up, right? And so, so much of how we define toxic masculinity is rooted in toxic femininity upholding this system in- Are you calling me toxic, sir? I'm not calling you toxic. I think it's possible uh -huh. to not be a toxic person and uphold toxic systems. Okay. So, so here's what I'll say. Here's what I'll say. Because I have a very good father at home. I think, first of all, I really had to come to grips with what toxic masculinity is. And then I had to find my place in it. Um, but my daddy used to tell me, um, hey, but two things you could do in a hotel room. So if a man invites you to the hotel room, you know what he wants, right? So if I go to the hotel room and some things start to happen, I have one or two options. I can stay and participate or I can leave, right? So I don't think that's upholding. So when I hear these stories, you're right. I do ask a lot of questions of the women because women are the backbone of society. If women behave, men are forced to behave, right? And and you all had no problem with me saying, as the woman, it's my uh, responsibility to get myself together to make sure these kids are together. But you have a problem with me saying it's how the woman shows up, which they are the same thing. I actually have a problem, problem with both of them, right? Mm -hmm. I think it is great and wonderful that you get your child up and you raise your child to do well. I don't think we should give a cookie to a man for doing the same thing. And so I think it's in, when we talk about toxic masculinity, it's very much dependent upon how we view the role of the woman in comparison or in um, complement to the man. And so if we have a, a kind of, not submissive, but like a lower ranking for the woman as she relates to the man, then we're gonna always kind of perpetuate that. It's the same philosophy of saying a woman deserves to be treated a certain way based on how she dresses or based on how she talks or what she brings to the table or her, her body figure. And so I think there is work 
to not put the onus on women. To I'm not putting the onus on women. I'm saying in certain situations, we do perpetuate it. That's all I'm saying. I'm not letting men off the hook at all because there are some men who are very toxic and there are some men who train their boys to be very toxic, right? And those are things. So I had a situation this weekend where a father um, had his son playing football and they went to the Super Bowl down in Florida. The son didn't play well, so he comes off of the football field and the father is yelling at him, calling him names and telling him how bad he played. You suck, you're stupid, you know, you ain't gonna never be this or that. So they do this all the way back to the hotel. They get to the hotel and the father hits the son. The son retaliates, right? And this is like a 10-year-old, 12-year-old child. And people are asking who's wrong. Well, the father is wrong because that's not how we're supposed to talk to our children. We're not supposed to provoke our children. And like I told the person who was telling me this story, I said, at that point, as a mother and a wife, I might have to leave the husband to protect the child because I don't want my child to grow up and think that that is okay. So how can I, as a mother, even though that's the father of my child, stay in that relationship, right? Knowing that it is toxic. How can I do that? That is then my responsibility to protect my child, isn't it? Or is it not? So it's complex. Go ahead now. Go ahead. Read. Oh, that was to me? Yes. Yes. You, you. I think, yes, absolutely. I think what I want to preface this with, toxic masculinity can be perpetuated by both men and women. And it right. is our responsibility to call it out. I think what I don't want to place in the conversation is this idea that when we see toxic behavior, it is the fault of the victim. It is actually the perception of how the perpetrator views the person in front of them. And so I, I think that's what I want to complicate in the conversation that we can't hold the victim responsible for how toxic masculinity shows up. So I'm not going to blame the child for how that father acted in the same way that I shouldn't blame the woman for how she dressed when a man responded inappropriately. So I, I think you are correct in that both men and women display toxic right. um, mm -hmm. traits. And that is our January show, Toxic Femininity and how it shows up and why it's important to clear it up, clean it up and get rid of it. And Go ahead. The other point is that to your earlier question, I don't think that people are holistically toxic, right? Mm -hmm. And so right. that, I think it's important that we complicate it, right? And so we shouldn't just continue to like paint a picture that black men are just toxic and men are toxic. They exhibit toxic behaviors. And so I think as we begin to make the conversation more nuanced and we can talk about the toxic behavior, right? You can talk about that man and his child on the foot on the child on the football field without talking about the full scope of who that man is. Right. Like we, we need to start to name this as like behavioral and how it shows up as mm -hmm. opposed to like fully just who the person is in identity. Toxic masculinity, right. I don't think is identity, it's a perpetuation of exactly. your own actions. So that's Dr. what I wanted you to say at the beginning of the show. Thank you though. <laughs> Dr. Wilson, do, yes. you, do you think that uh, based on that story that, that 
I'll just use football because that's what we're talking about. Breeds mm -hmm. toxic masculinity. I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll say I don't know because my son has had a lot of coaches, right? And some have been extremely uh, dangerous um, with him as a child. And then some have been very caring and supportive um, and gracious with him as a child. So I think it depends on who the men are and their approach to coaching. That's what I'll say. Um, because the team kind of follows the leader. Yo, coaching is one of those touchy subjects around toxic masculinity. Because I'll admit, not a toxic individual, but I got some toxic coaching habits, right? <laughs> Wait. Wait, what do you coach? I, I have coached basketball, I have coached football, I have coached track. And I honestly, I'm from the South Friday Night Lights. I was called right. everything but a child of God on the right. football field and told, throw up and keep running. Are you hurt? Are you injured? If you hurt, keep playing. If you injured, drag them off. Like, I I mean, I experienced that. Like, you ain't hurt. <laughs> yeah, you ain't hurt. Oh, man. Right. Um, Tell Sharif to get off the internet, okay? Um, yeah, yeah. I think all those things, I, I think sports breed it. I don't care which sport it is because they focus on certain forms of manhood, like the strength thing, uh, the Wait. aggression. Like, toxic, toxic comes when you focus on when you're focusing on these, these narrowing the focus on these specific things. So like my son plays football uh, as well. And his team was down in Florida as well. This week. They, they won. But one of the things that can become toxic is like, if my boy, for example, my son injured his back, he hurt his back. If, if, if I get on the field to play that sport, there, there's some requirement of strength there, right? There's some requirement. I, I'll be even more transparent when my son was playing on defense, I would find myself saying to him, man, you need to be a little bit more aggressive, right? Like you, you, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't tackle, you know, you shouldn't be scared to tackle somebody. You need to be a little bit more aggressive. And so even when I was doing that and my son was like, dad, I don't want to do that. I had to check myself and what I was perpetuating in this sense. But I think certain sports breeds this type of environment because those elements are present within it and those are the things that are lifted up in those in those specific so um I know, because i had to my son is is big okay um he's six, my son is small yeah he's six three <laughs> um and he weighs about 300 pounds okay um and he's always been big and he was handing out concussions on the playground he's really playing with people uh, and then people want to cry foul. But i he's very gentle as well. And I would have to tell him before the game, knock him down. That's your opponent. And then once you knock him down, you know, you make sure he's okay. But you got to get, you got to make your play. All's fair in football. Okay. Yes, mother. Right? That's it. Okay, and then when you get off, bro, the see that mother on the anger? sideline that come running off, snatch up the ref because they throw a penalty flag on our child. <laughs> no, yeah, I don't. Do, I'm not that line. mother. I'm not that parent. I'm not that parent. You okay? don't want to screaming and cussing on the sideline. No, no, no. I'm not loud at the game. Can we, can we, stamp, can we stamp the point that I, I do think there is some need to like put football and sports and stuff because the nature of the sport is to tackle someone, and so right. I want you to be. And I think toxic comes when. I put you down for not wanting to play. But if you're going to play, 
I want you to be good at it. Exactly. And to be good at it, you right. need to tackle hard, run fast, jump high. Right. So do that and do that well. And you're not going to be big on the field and not effective. Not in this house. Okay. That's the coaching. And is that toxic? <laughs> but you know, that, that might be toxic. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, that, I don't think be, that's toxic because you're not going to that, that be. So all of this is economic, okay? Because if I'm paying for gas to get you to and from that practice, I got to pay for this uniform. I got to pay to get in. Then you better be good, okay? Because I don't want to have to fight these parents on the sideline because they saying something crazy about you, okay? So, yeah, I just think it's, 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 it's some toxicity in this, man. Like. You wouldn't call it toxic if you told a 400 sprint to run faster the same way you wouldn't call it toxic to tell the, the defensive end to tackle the quarterback. That's the nature of the sport. Exactly. No, I don't, I don't think it's the tackling thing. Like, yeah, make the tackle. But I think that when you associate that piece with being a man or you're, you're, you're big or you're a boy, you better do – I think – that is the association. No, I agree. Telling somebody that's a sport. Yeah, of course you're supposed to. You're supposed to tackle. But then if the person doesn't do that, and it's reflected in, in who they are, I think that is when it becomes a problem. And I've seen that multiple times over and over. I've seen it from mothers. I've seen and, it from. I actually yeah. see it. I see mothers act more toxic on the football field than I've seen fathers. And it might be because mothers are more present. At the games, a lot of times their mothers are more active. But I've seen moms cuss out boys and say, you know, you better stop crying. You better stop whining. Well, you better suck it up. And I'm like, no, he's hurt. He's right. supposed to cry right now. Like, if I was hurt, I'm going to cry a little bit. So yeah. I think those are the things that we, that's what I mean as part of the toxic piece. I just want to be very so I never, I've never said to my son that you can't cry. You better man up. I've never punched him, um, which is what somebody was saying in the comments. And I think that is, I don't know if it's toxic behavior, but I do think it's dangerous behavior um, in training a child, any child. Uh, I don't I don't think those are um, really good things to do. And somebody said that my son is a dancing bear and he's pledging Omega. We don't know what he's going to pledge, okay? Um, but he better not come home with nobody else shirt on. So... <laughs> Parker, <laughs> I ain't paying for that now. Parker, we need to depart with some prayer. Okay. <laughs> we need some scripture, brother. I already put her name down in my book for my playlist, man. Yeah, I already like, put please it. Ask she was talking. Prayer. I already said, Lord, I, I see why you got she me on this show today. It's it really to lift Dr. Wilson up, not to lift me up. Did y'all just do this, bro? This is to lift Dr. Wilson up. Because we need, to, like, we need to, we need to unpack the black fraternity thing. Like we need to have that conversation. Okay. No, we don't. They need. They can unpack that. We we gonna stay where we are. And okay, they, that's fair. Don't need any work because you know a, we, we, we just some no, GDIs GDI on the podcast. Doctor Wilson <laughs> got to close our show. Let me right. But here's the thing. Here, open here, up a can of worms. It is, Bashan. It is not toxic. For me to pledge, for him, me to force him to play, I'm not forcing it. It is just highly encouraged in his own. Okay. But here's the thing about talking about D9 organizations and why sometimes they might not hear you um, because you're not a part of it. So you might not know 
all the nuances of it, okay? And I know y'all sitting up here with PhDs and EDDs and y'all done wrote and researched and done all of this and heard stories. But until it is a lived experience, gentlemen, you don't know. Okay, and I said that as politely as I could because in another show, I done told them if you ain't in a D9 organization, don't talk about a D9 organization. Okay, yes, amen. With that, she closes her show and kicks us off. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love y'all. I love y'all. I love y'all. I love you. Last quote with us all. You ain't in it. Then don't say nothing about it. All right, now, you roll my neck. <laughs> I had to practice that. <laughs> All right, but three times dope. I really appreciate you coming on tonight. Uh, I really loved your energy. We discussed a lot. Y'all got deep, awesome conversation. Um, we didn't police the language or your behavior, and I, I appreciate you all showing up as your authentic self. One of you came late. Amen. But, um, you know, you're always welcome on the show. Always welcome on the show. And <laughs> on time. On time. With your mic working. <laughs> oh, man. So if you all want to do closing thoughts, you can. If you don't, you don't have to. Anybody have any closing thoughts? Parker, I know you might have like a little word. The benediction. Oh, oh, now, now you want to give it to me after you then, then came at my neck about being late. <laughs> You want to say you ain't feel the love. You ain't feel the love. The last, uh, the closing words. No, I just would encourage us to. Um, I think everybody that's on that we would. Uh, there's a brother named Tony Porter. He has an organization called Call the Men. Um, has a great um, TED talk called Call the Men where he talks about the man box. And my and my last parting words would just be: We should continue to dismantle. He, he created this man box and these things that are inside this box. And he just was saying that we need to dismantle that box and begin to think outside of, of the box of what it means to be um, a man. And so uh, I'm a strong proponent of that and using my influence as an educator to have conversations with boys about what, uh, what it means to be uh, a man, uh, embracing those things and breaking down uh, that man box. So uh, yeah, that's, that's my, the final word that we, we dismantle the man box. All right. Thank you. Anybody else? Mr. Hayes? Um, just want to salute you, Dr. Wilson. Great show. Thank you for having us. Um, I think dialogues like this are important that the world can see that three men can come and submit to a woman who leads her show and leads us through the uh, conversation. Tell not, no. um, <laughs> Did you say submit? Yes. Did you she say submit? Cause I, I I took that I took you slamming that door in my face and telling me not to say nothing and I took it with a smile <laughs> and I'm gonna still celebrate you, Queen. Great stuff. Oh my gosh, I love you all. You all have a great podcast. Um, I watched it and I'm looking forward to more episodes. Um, like I said in January, it'll be the second Tuesday in January. We will talk to talk about toxic femininity. Um, it was great to have you on. What? What you think? time? The same time, nut. <laughs> All right, Mr. Um, Ankle, we're going to talk about the times of our shows. Yeah, the second Tuesday. Yeah, she on the se yeah. second so Tuesday. Yeah. Second Tuesday, Hayes. Let's yeah. make sure we end those comments. Let's make right. sure we end those comments. I'm going to be in I need a couple of y'all in y'all comments. Whatever. Anyway, I'm closing the show. 
It was great to talk to three men about um, toxic masculinity, showing that we can be critical, we can be fun, that we are educated, and um, how to really change society one man at a time, okay, if we need to. Thank you, guys. Good night, everyone. Thank you for joining me.